So the title of the message today is The Joy of Progress. The Joy of Progress. You know, in in the first 11 verses that we just kind of walked through, we heard Paul talking about kind of his spiritual resume, all the things that he had accomplished and done. And then at the end, he said, none of it is worth anything because now I have a new grace and freedom found only in Christ. And these couple verses, we hear Paul kind of talking about his striving um, to move forward in his present circumstances. What we see all along the way is that Paul isn't living frustrated by his past. He's not confused about where he currently is or about his future hope. And so as I was kind of putting the message together, and I thought, man, there's the joy of the journey. I I asked a question, and I want to ask you guys this. What What if we weren't bound by our past? What if we weren't distracted, overly distracted by our present? What if we weren't confused by our future? Those are hard things to work out and to think through, but it's something that I think this passage can speak to a little bit today. So that's why we've kind of called it the joy of progress, the joy of moving forward. And as I kind of kick off this message, I want to draw attention to a movie. So in 2004, a cinematic cult classic, it hit theaters all over the United States. And it was a small, had a really small budget this movie did. They paid their lead actor only $1,000. They paid their lead actor $1,000, but this movie went, over, went on to make over $40 million in theaters. The movie I'm talking about, it's full of all these ridiculous, memorable characters that if you've seen it, once I start saying the names, you'll know what the movie is. Their names, some of these characters, were Deb, Kip, Pedro, and the lead role, Napoleon Dynamite. Now, for those of you who have seen this movie, they either seem to be on one of two ends. They love it, or they think it's the stupidest thing in the world, and they hate it so much. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of middle ground. But it's kind of this cult classic now that a lot of people have seen, you know, with all these ridiculous scenes. But there's one character that I want to draw attention to today. And his name is Uncle Rico. So even if you've never seen the movie... I'm going to read the lines from one of his famous scenes, and you'll kind of get the point. So in one particular scene, Uncle Rico, he's sitting on the front porch. And he's sitting on the front porch, and he's eating steak with his nephew, Kip. And then Rico turns to his nephew, and he says this. Now, think about a man probably in his 40s-ish. That's what Rico is. And he says, man, back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin over a quarter mile. How much you want to bet I can throw football over them mountains? Well, if coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro in a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars, living in a big old mansion somewhere, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. He then turns to his nephew. Kip, I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You ever... come across anything like time travel? Now, later on in the movie, we see Rico trying to earn money as much as he can because he has one purpose. He wants to buy this time machine. He gets a time machine, and it ends up just being this machine that hurts his man parts, okay? (laughs) It, It serves no real purpose. And even if you've never seen this movie, we can sometimes all relate to somebody who's living stuck in the past, whether that's the glories of success or the pain and hurts and frustration of something that they've experienced. 
Uncle Rico just couldn't get over the past. And some of us are that way or we know someone that's that way. And today, we're going to take a look at what Paul talks about the, the importance and the joy that we can find in moving forward with Christ. Because the truth is, joy will never be found living in the past. It just won't, but it'll be found as we progress forward, moving in motion towards Jesus. We'll never find true joy if we continually just soak in and live in the past, but it's got to be our progress towards following Christ. So in his letters, what we're going to see here, Paul uses a lot of different illustrations, and he kind of tends to lean into four different areas, army, agriculture, architecture, and then athletics. And this one is it's much, it's, a, it's an athletic type of illustration that he's using. Paul knew that the people he was speaking to, um, the, the Greco-Romans, they really loved their sports, kind of like we do nowadays. So that's why I think it's pretty common for you'll hear lots of pastors and preachers use sports analogies because it's such a, a passion point for the people of the United States. Paul understood that he was wise and he was going to speak about progress in running in a race. But before we get too far into this, I want to make sure that we take note and we don't get things messed up. We're going to talk about striving and running and doing, but this is not the key or the way to be saved. We're going to be talking about running and, and moving and going, but it's important for us to understand that it's not by our own efforts or our works that we experience salvation. Paul talked about that in the first 11 verses. So if all of a sudden he was speaking some kind of a different language, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But I want you to think about it this way. He's encouraging us to run. So think about it this way. In order to participate in the Greek Olympics, the athlete had to be a citizen. So in order to compete in the Olympics, the athlete had to be a citizen. They didn't run the race to gain citizenship. They ran the race because they were a citizen. Paul is now saying you're a citizen of a different kingdom. You don't run the race to become a citizen of this different kingdom. You run this race because you're a part of it. And so he's saying if you're a part of the kingdom of God and you've given your life to Christ, you now have the opportunity to be a part of moving forward towards him. So for us to experience joy, I think there's three things that we're going to need. There's three things that we're going to need. And this first one, is, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's important. And it's this. It's divine dissatisfaction. So we have to have a divine dissatisfaction, which is a recognition that we are continually called to seek to pursue a deeper relationship with God, his purposes, his ways. We have to have this dissatisfaction that I've never fully reached it yet. I always have more to gain and learn about who Jesus is. There's an old story of a, a preacher. And it says, the preacher given this message and it was talking about that we all have room to grow. We all have things in our life that we need to continually work out and allow God to do something in us and through us. And after the message, a couple of young men approached him. They told him that they enjoyed the message, but they, had, they believed they had arrived at sinless perfection. And we laugh, but there are people I even heard today that still believe that they've arrived at sinless perfection. And so these young men said, we've arrived at sinless perfection. And so we don't think we have things that we continually need to work out. So the preacher invited them over to dinner to discuss this a little bit more. And so they come over to dinner and they're discussing this and they're going kind of back and forth. And the, the preacher does something that I wouldn't encourage anyone to do, but he did it. He takes a glass of water and he throws it in their face. And 
As you would guess, these guys were livid. They jumped up from the table. They wanted to strangle him. There was anger. There was vile. There was all kinds of things that took place. And the preacher looks at him and says this. Ah, I found, I found it. The old man, the sin man, is not dead in you. He just fainted and I woke him up with a glass of water. The truth is none of us have arrived on this, as we walk this earth, as sinless perfection. God may see us as part of his team, and he sees us that he has washed our sins clean, but we haven't arrived where we no longer sin. We just haven't. We all have room to grow. And Paul, in fact, said this. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this. So he's talking about obtaining the kingdom of heaven. In the verse before, he was talking about eternal life. He says, or, or have already arrived at my goal. So if Paul was willing to say, I haven't arrived yet, his resume way out, it outperforms all of ours, I'm sorry to say. And he said, I have not arrived yet. So if he was willing to say that, we have to be willing to say, I've got room to grow and develop and grow closer to Christ. I haven't arrived yet. Now we may know different people in areas of life that they show up and they act like I am here. I am the gift that, that has come to you. I have arrived. If you know someone like that, you probably don't want to know them for very long. You know, that arrogance and pride gets old real quick. When someone's like, they walk in and it's their first day on the job. And maybe they're a, a new college graduate and they've learned a lot. But they show up like, I've arrived. I'm here to change everything. You're like, you got a lot to learn. And what Paul is saying is, man, I haven't even arrived yet. I still have room to grow and room to develop. And it's something that we need to have as well. We need to have that humility to understand there's still room for us to grow. But what we do sometimes is we realize, okay, I'm not there yet, but I'm farther along than this guy. And we start to have a different kind of pride. We know we still have space to grow, but hey, I'm better than this one. It's kind of like if you're in a race and you're not the winner, but I'm going faster than these guys, so I'm doing all right. We are not called to do that either. We're called to help be leaders who bring other people along with us in the race. When Paul, one of the things he was saying here, he, he had said his whole resume of all the things that he had done for God and all the, the knowledge that he had, but he says, I'm not there yet. And he's saying, I'm here with you guys on this journey. That's what a good leader does. He, you may know that he's ahead of you, but he doesn't look down on you because of that. Because leadership is not lordship, and it's not about being superior. It's about following Jesus. It's about being more like him and bringing others along. You know, we've all known maybe somebody that's like, they say they're a leader, but really they've got that lordship mentality of I'm better than you, and you should be more like me. And Paul is saying, you can follow my example, but we're both on the same path trying to follow Jesus. So come on, let's go. Let's run this race. And divine dissatisfaction is this sense inside of us that we haven't arrived yet. We still have room to develop, room to grow. Divine dissatisfaction is a dissatisfaction that seemingly comes from God. And it's always a nudge and an urging that I need to know him more. I need to be closer to him. You know, I've told you guys this before, but when I was a, a younger teenager, I was like hell on earth to pastors and to churches because I would just argue theology and all kinds of mess with them and frustrate the tar out of them. But I remember just a simple statement that one of them made to me at one point, and it stuck with me forever. And it goes kind of along with this because sometimes we think that we've arrived and I know all there is to know. 
I know all there is to know. I've learned my Bible. I've memorized things. I know what there is to know about God. And this is what he said. If God was so small that I could know everything about him, that would not be a God that I would want to serve. There's always more to learn about God. God is always revealing more of himself to us as long as we're always pursuing to know him more. So we have to have that divine dissatisfaction of knowing I haven't reached, I haven't reached sinlessness yet. I still have opportunities to get to know Jesus more. I still have some of my, my things that I'm still working out in my own life. And not to feel condemned, but to say, I want to be more like Christ. So we have to have that. We have to have that divine dissatisfaction. The second thing that we need is we need to be determined. We need diligent determination. Verse 12, Paul says this, but I press on to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this, this verse, this verb of pressing on is also used in, in verse 14. And it translates to mean like I sweat. It's this hunting type of term that's, that's being translated as press on, but it's a sweat equity type of struggle. I don't know if you've ever had to do like really hard manual labor or maybe you've decided I'm going to get in shape and you've got to start giving that sweat equity and you've got to start putting in the grind and the hard work. That's what this is talking about. Paul is saying this isn't going to be an easy thing. It takes diligent determination, which is an ongoing act of surrendering our will to God, to surrendering what my desire is. My desire might be to strangle somebody. And I got to say, nah, that ain't going to work. My desire might be to yell at my kids, to argue with my wife, to get, but none of, I have to continually, and I, I, I have to do it just, okay, God, that's not, that's not your will. And it's, it's tiring sometimes because it's easy to react. It's a little bit harder to say, okay, God, I want to live righteously and I'm going to respond the way that you want me to. And it takes effort. It takes prayer. It takes the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. When we realize, we read that Paul isn't just coasting along, he's striving to be more like Christ. He's working this out. And to illustrate it, Paul uses athletic imagery about running a race. And here's what I think a lot of us can understand. The difference between a stroll and like a run. You know, we can have the same neighborhood. We can go on a stroll. We can go on a stroll with our kids or just a stroll around and just go for a nice walk. And it's, there's still some exercise there, but there's a difference between a stroll and then like hitting pavement. Hitting pavement where your, your lungs start to just work differently. Your heart beats faster. Beads of sweat start to grow. And Paul is saying, our Christian walk, there's got to be times when it's not just a leisurely stroll, but that we're saying, God, whatever you're asking of me, I'm going to push forward and I'm going to do it because I love you. We can't just live passively saying, well, Jesus did all the work and now I don't have to do anything. Jesus did do all the work to set us free and forgive us. But then he said, now I've called you to a purpose and I've given you a purpose and you're, it's going to take some, it's going to take your hands and your feet to live out that purpose. I've done enough, you know, care and talking with other believers that I know a lot of times a lack of a sense of purpose, a lack of a sense of understanding what the future holds. It's a major thing for a lot of us. And I always say, well, where, 
Where are you being like Jesus? What's God doing in your life? Who are you serving? Who are you praying with? Because if we're not putting in that kind of effort, we're going to always feel like we don't have a purpose because we're not living out the initial things that God has called us to do. So under no illusion should we think that the Christian life is something to live passively or effortlessly. If you want to grow, you need passion and discipline. And I want you to understand this. We don't do this to earn. We said it at the beginning. We don't do it to earn our salvation. But there is effort that has to go in once we are saved. We are called to give effort because we now belong to this team. It would look like this. This is what sometimes we do as Christians. It'd be like a, a quarterback who gets on a team, wears the jersey, learns the playbook, may even practice a little bit, but then game time comes. The quarterback gets in the huddle and says, don't worry, guys. The coach will take care of everything. Let's just, he'll take care of it. We don't have to do anything. He'll just take care of it. Wrong. The coach has put you out there to make a difference and make an impact and to do something with the skills and the talents and the, everything that he's given to you. Jesus has taken care of all the sin of our world, but he's given us a purpose to go and to make an impact and a difference in the lives of others. Don't just wear the jersey. Actually be a part of what God wants to do. Diligent determination. It empowers us to live with passion, to live with purpose, to run the race with endurance, to say, yes, this today is really difficult, but I can do it because I've got the spirit of God living inside of me and I want to be more like Jesus. It's that song we sang, Christ be magnified. Sometimes Christ be magnified is doing something that's difficult that we don't want to do because we're going to make more of Jesus. So we have divine dissatisfaction, diligent determination. And then this last one we need is just dynamic direction, which means a, a powerful, new, strong direction. Dynamic direction is following a gospel-empowered, forward-focused view of life. Gospel-empowered means that it's focused on Jesus. It's powered by the Holy Spirit. It's something that's living and always moving forward. You know, as, as humans, we're accustomed to looking at time this way. Past, present, future. We always kind of look at things that way, the timeline of past, present, future. God wants us to always be focused future-wise until the future becomes present and then the present becomes past and then there's a new future. And we just keep moving forward into the new future with him. It's not focused on past, present, future. It's present. Then becoming past, but it's always focused this way, towards the future. Paul says it this way, but one thing I do. First off, I love this singular focus of Paul. He's like, there's a lot of distractions, but here's the one thing I do, and it's something that you should do as well. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This passionate run involves forgetting and reaching. Both are essential. Forgetting and reaching. You know, it's really hard for a runner to win or to even run very well, honestly, if they're just always looking behind them. They've got to focus forward. And please, I want you to understand, in Bible terminology, forget does not mean to like fail to remember and for it to totally be gone out of your brain. Um, that would breed some kind of brain malfunction or, you know, maybe you're senile. That's not what it, that's not what it means. It means that it no longer has power to impact your today. 
It no longer has power to impact there today. Then when God promises in Hebrews 10, 17, that their sins I will remember no more. That's God saying that. It doesn't mean that he's like, that God suddenly has a memory loss. It says, I'm not going to hold their sins against them. So when Paul says we, we got to forget the things of the past, he understands that there's still going to be those memories there, but we're not going to let them have power over us. We're going to give them a new purpose and a new meaning. Because the truth is we can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of it. We can't change the past, but we can change the purpose that it has. We can ask God to redeem whatever has happened in our past. We can ask God to help us learn from and use whatever's happened in the past. I can kind of say it this way. Because I know a lot of times we can get stuck feeding the past. We get stuck feeding into the past. It's pretty normal in our culture and society today to say, well, what's gone on in your past? And there's a time for that. There's a time to understand and recognize where some of your desires, some of your appetites, some of the things come from. But a lot of times we're, we're feeding into it way too much. And it'd be like if you bought, you, you planned out a whole week of meals. You planned out a whole week of meals and you go to the grocery store and you buy all the groceries you need for that week. And you take half of the groceries and you go to the home that you lived at when you were five years old and you just drop all that food at that house. And then, you know what happens? You now don't have all the things you need for your present and you also don't have the food you need to sustain you in your future because you fed a past that really, there's, there's no reason to continue to pour into that past. There's no reason to continue to feed that past because it's not nourishing you at all. And if you continue to feed your past, you leave your present and your future malnourished and you always just keep going back to your past. Instead, you've got to say, God, help me to understand where my appetites, help me to understand the things that I've grown through or come through in my past, but give them a new purpose, a new reason, because I want to be forward future focused and I can't continue to feed this thing. I may learn from it, I may grow through it, but I'm not going to feed it anymore. You know, like I said, it's common for a, us and in, in counseling to, to just sometimes want us to dwell too much in that. And I think it's good for us to understand and recognize it. Don't get me wrong. We need to know where some of our things come from, but we cannot dwell in it. Otherwise, we're going to, there's so much in scripture that says it's time to move forward, to move towards progress. So whether it's major success, hurt, trauma, abuse, whatever's happened in your past, recognize it, speak it, understand it, but don't continue to feed it or it's robbing you and malnourishing your present and your future. And then you're ending up like Uncle Rico sitting there on the porch <laughs> saying, back in 82, man, I could throw a football quarter mile. You know, I spent a few years now in a military community and I see guys that would get out and they'd experience this camaraderie and this, this joy of serving. And then they continually just go back to that. They want to continually to talk about it and to dwell on that. Like, man, God now wants to use that for a new purpose moving forward. Paul, if he would have stayed in his past, could have been self-defeating, self-deflating. Remember, he killed Christians. He did horrible things, but he understood, okay, that past was not good and not healthy, but God can redeem that and use that for something different. And so we have to always pray, God, I recognize my past. Give me opportunities to redeem it and restore it. You know, I, I, I've had to do that in my own life. 
Now, I grew up in a, a house and a family that it was, it was okay, but there was a lot of chaos and some dysfunction. The first church that I worked full-time at was chaotic and dysfunctional. And what happens is, is when you become around chaos and dysfunction, it becomes normal to you. And you start to actually seek it out. And I realized I was becoming codependent on chaos. It was normalized to me because of all the things I had experienced in my past, I kept feeding that and feeding that. And what I would do is when things would kind of settle down, I'd try to rally stuff back up because it felt strange. I'd pick fights with my wife. I'd just start up stuff because I kept, what I wanted to do is keep feeding this past. And eventually I had to realize, wait a minute, this is where this came from. I'm not going to feed it anymore. I'm going to learn from it, grow through it and walk towards something new. And along the way, I've asked God to redeem, redeem all the things that I've done. And he's given me opportunities to, to, to share with other people that are going through similar stuff that I'd experienced. God will use your brokenness. He'll use your success. He'll use all your past if you decide, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put in the effort and energy to move forward into a new future. So I know we've spent a little bit more time on this one than the other ones, but man, you can't, I, you just don't get stuck in feeding that past. And some of you guys have been through some real hard things. And I am deeply sorry. And I guarantee you, Jesus mourns and weeps with you. But now he's saying, okay, let's, let's move through that. Let's move through that. And let's strive towards what's ahead. Let's reach out to run this race and to finish it well. So we're going to find joy in our journey. If we have just kind of this divine disruption, this diligent determination, and this direction that's dynamic and comes through the Spirit. And as, as we kind of come to a close today, I want to tell you a story. And it's a true story that I had found yesterday, and it's about this guy named Cliff Young. And Cliff Young is a 61-year-old man. And every year, thousands of runners from all over the world come to this ultra marathon in Australia. And the first ultra marathon was held in 1983. And ultra marathon, it's 543 miles. That is ridiculous. It's Melbourne to Sydney to Melbourne. So 543 miles. That's how long this is. That's multiple days that they're going to be running in this race. So in 1983, it's the inaugural ridiculous marathon that nobody should ever run. Um, but all these racers, they show up, and along comes Cliff. And Cliff stood out like a sore thumb. First off, he's in his 60s. Most of the racers are in their 20s and 30s. Most of the racers are in running gear, um, looking like they're ready to rock and roll and go. Cliff shows up in his overalls, a hat, some boots and galoshes because he thought it might rain. And everyone's wondering, this guy, what is he doing here? They're a little concerned because he's older. What if, this is a long ways. We don't want anybody dying on this first time we've ever had this gigantic marathon. So people were, were doubting. They were wondering. And there was a reporter that asked, you know, why, what are you doing here? Why are you entering this competition? And Cliff, Cliff replied, I grew up on a farm 
And we couldn't afford horses or tractors, and the whole time I was growing up, whenever the storms would roll in, I'd have to go run and round up the sheep. We had like 2,000 sheep and 2,000 acres, so there's times when I had to run for two or three days. It took a long time, but I'd catch, I, I catch them all, and I believe that I can run in this race. No one believed that Cliff could be running in this race. Then, on the day of the race, it looked like everybody was right. It looked like all the doubters are right. The gun goes off and they all start running. And we've all watched runners run. And I looked this up on YouTube to watch Cliff run. And Cliff runs like this. Like this weird, I don't even know what to call it. And he's just kind of going. It looks like this mix of between like this joggish run type of a thing. And as they go, the other racers are far ahead of him. But all the other runners had been training to run for 18 hours a day, which is a long time because most of us can't run 18 minutes. <laughs> but they were trained, they had trained to run 18 hours a day and then sleep for six. Cliff did not, un he, he just showed up. He didn't follow any of those things. He didn't train that way. And so while they were sleeping, Cliff just kept running. He just kept going. And after the first night of the race, Cliff is now ahead of everybody else because he didn't stop. He had a slow little weird stroll. They caught back up to him. It says Cliff stopped, I think, a couple times for like an hour or two. Obviously, he had to go to the bathroom and eat and do some normal things. But he just kind of kept going, just kept running. That's all he had was just this, but he kept going. And as the race came to an end, Cliff crossed the finish line first. Not only did he cross the finish line first, he crossed it 10 hours faster than the person in second place. And as I heard this, I wanted to encourage some of you because I know some of you today, you might think, all I've got is this. You're tired. I would encourage you, just keep going. Just keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't look backwards to your past. Say, God, I'm running this race for you and I'm just gonna keep going. I'm tired. And God, will, when you say you're tired, God's like that person that gives you some water along the way. He's like, okay, I got you. But you gotta just keep going. And when they reach the finish line, Cliff didn't even know that there was a prize. And they give him a check for $10,000, which to me, I want more money than that if I'm gonna run 543 miles. But so he, he gets this prize and he says, oh, okay. And they're like, what are you going to do with it? He's like, I'm just going to give it away. So he gave 2,000 bucks to the five people that followed him. He just gave it all away. He's like, they ran, so I'm just going to give it to them. And when I heard that, I'm like, that's such a good representation of what it's like to be a Christ follower. We run a race throughout our entire life. But when it comes to the end, we give it all away. And even the, the things that Jesus the rewards that we get, we all lay them down at Jesus' feet. It's about just running the race and running it with endurance. And the second, the second year comes around, and now Cliff is even older, and for some reason he's going to do this again. Some of these people had learned his technique. They started even running like him because it just it tended to not stress the heart out as much. And this second year, Cliff finished in seventh place. And one of the reporters asked him, Cliff, are you... Are you disappointed that you didn't win? 
And he goes, not really, I finished. His goal was just to finish. And sometimes we become so focused on maybe being the fastest or the best, or we just give up and we got to just say, okay, I'm going to be like Paul. I'm just going to keep going. So let me encourage you today. If all you got is a little stroll, just keep moving forward. Just keep going forward. We've been encouraging each other to take our messages and put them into motion. So here's some things that I would invite you guys to do this week. If you can, memorize Philippians 3.14. That you're pressing on towards the goal, towards the prize. If you can, sometime this week, go on a, a, a walk or a jog or some kind of a stroll around your neighborhood. And as you're doing it, pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to be moving forward towards you and with you? Use this, this scripture kind of as a, a thought guide as you're just going throughout your neighborhood and you're walking or you're doing whatever you're going to do. And say, okay, I know I'm physically moving but I want to spiritually be moving closer to you, Jesus. And then some of us, we need to find some freedom from our past hurts. Or we need to find some, some ways to push against some of our past victories and say, okay, I, need, I have a God that wants to bring me new victories. So I'd encourage you, find somebody that you can speak with, talk to. At the end of service, there'll be some people up here to pray with you. And maybe you need to come up and say, hey, this is what happened to me in the past. Can you pray for me? That's what they're here for. So let's surround each other and let's just keep shuffling on towards more and more of Jesus.